Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? Barbie, hands down, <laughs> hands down. And the funny thing is, um, I'll never forget, all I wanted was Barbie, Barbie, Barbie for Christmas when I think I was about five years old and I still have the picture. And I finally got the Barbie and my parents got me the Barbie townhouse. And the next morning I, you know, moved all the Barbies out and I spent about three hours working on the townhouse and building the townhouse. Even like back then, Barbie was such a powerful symbol of I can do anything and I can be anything. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Gail Tifford, the Chief Brand Officer for WW, the brand that was formerly known as Weight Watchers. It changed its name in late 2018. WW is one interesting company. It was founded by a Queens, New York homemaker in 1963 and later sold to the H.J. Hines Company in the late 70s. Today, WW is a publicly traded stock. It has evolved from a weight management brand to a wellness company, hence the name change. WW does about a billion and a half in revenue. Oprah Winfrey has been a major investor since 2015. And one of the recent brand ambassadors is the late night host, James Corden, who is looking fabulous lately. My guest, Gail, joined WW in March 2018 after spending 20 years with Unilever with a two and a half year stint at MTV Networks. Gail has a BA in psychology from Tufts University and a law degree from the Brooklyn Law School. This is my conversation with lawyer-turned-marketer, Gail Tifford. Gail, welcome to the CMO Podcast. How are you doing today in your 10,000 steps a day challenge? Hi, Jim. So nice to be here. Um, I am at about 6,500 steps today, so I am not at goal yet. Um, but I did start my morning off with a early morning hike with my pup. Oh, beautiful. Is that what you normally do? Get up early and take a walk, take a hike? That's when you get your steps in? Yes. That's when I try to get at least three quarters of the steps in because once the day gets started, it, it's hard to catch up. So if you reach the end of the day and you're at like 2000, what do you do? Oh, <laughs> my neighbors have sometimes seen me in the middle of the night walking up and down my driveway. Well, I got out this morning and did, I kind of uh, got this habit during COVID. I, I did a four mile walk this morning with my wife and that gets you to about 10,000. Yeah. So, uh, and it's so good to be out in the early morning in the summer. It's just so oh. beautiful, refreshing. It makes such a huge difference mentally, physically, in every way. I agree. That's, that's my therapy. Yeah. So you are my second guest who is a lawyer that converted to marketing. Do you know who the other guest is? Is there a prize? Yeah, there's a prize. There's always a prize <laughs> on the show. 
I have no idea. It's Frank Cooper at BlackRock. Oh, I did not know that. And he also, this is kind of a little bit uncanny. He was one of my first guests on the CMO podcast, and he's become a friend. He's a lawyer. He also went into consumer products, as you did. He also worked in music, as you did. So it's it's really, you ought to connect with them. You probably have a lot of stories. I think I'm going to. He worked at Pepsi and he worked at Def Jam. You were at Unilever and MTV. So you have a lot of stuff to talk about. Okay. Will you make the intro? I will. I okay. will indeed. But you actually practiced law for a while, right? I'm not sure Frank did. And so I want to start there. What, what attracted you to, you, you were a psychology undergraduate major, which is perfect for marketing. Then you went to law school. What attracted you to law? And by the way, I'm, I'm from a family of lawyers. My brother is a federal judge, an ex-federal judge. So my father was a lifelong attorney. So tell me what attracted you to law. Um, okay, well, I won't say anything bad about the profession then. But, oh, don't um, worry. They're, <laughs> they're cool about it. They get it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I wish um, I could tell you that I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was two years old or three years old or that I was, you know, negotiating since the time that I was six, which is actually kind of true. But, you know, for me, it was really coming out of um, college and the economy. Um, it was 1991 and the job market wasn't um, very abundant. And so a lot of my friends were um, really looking at um, what there, what else was there to do. And at the time, business school, you needed a few years experience and in law school, you didn't. So to be quite honest with you, I went to law school because um, there was nothing else for me to do. And um, I think in hindsight, looking back, it was the one of the best decisions I ever made because I am so right brain. And I think the discipline of three years, like honing the left side of my brain was really, really important. Um, but, you know, I, I got to law school. Um, it was my first day of classes and I sat in and I was like, oh, my God, I made such a big mistake. <laughs> and um, but I, I'm the type of person like when I put my mind to something and I said, I'm going to finish this. And so um, fast forward three years later, um, I really did try. I mean, I, I actually clerked for a federal judge. Um, I worked for the chief bankruptcy judge in, in the Eastern District. I worked in the um, narcotics division of the U.S. Attorney's Office. Wow. So I really tried to find a part of the law that, that would excite me. Um, so I ended up going to work doing corporate and commercial litigation um, but it just it it kind of crushed my spirit a little. And so um, as soon as I, I passed the bar, I took the New York and New Jersey state bars. I started looking to to do something different. And um, and yeah, and that started kind of a, a career change um, when I was about 24 years old. Your first job after law was what? So I went to go work at a sports marketing agency um, negotiating contracts and so sort of leveraging my legal degree, um, but working in sports. And so it was part of Madison Square Garden. And I, I must say it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. I traveled around the world, tennis tournaments, sailing regattas, um, and I was negotiating and, and helping with sponsorship uh uh, contracts and agreements for at the time was Cheesebro Ponds, which is, as you know, now Unilever. Yeah, sure. And 
I ended up spending a lot of time with their marketing teams um, on the sponsorship agreements. And slowly but surely, they started inviting me into some of their meetings and their brainstorms. And I became very close with a woman by the name of Laura Klauberg, who was the category director at the time. Um, and one day she said to me, she said, you know, you really seem to have a knack for marketing. Do you have any interest in, you know, in coming to work with us? And so that um, a few months later, I started as the assistant brand manager on Q-Tips. Oh, my. So we're going to talk about Laura, I think, a little bit later okay. in this podcast as we talk about mentors. But what was it like going from <laughs> law to sports marketing contracts to Q-Tips? <laughs> it was. It was. Um, it was really wild. I mean, I... I really remember um, buying a book. At that time, it was like the three P's of marketing. And I stayed up all night studying for my interview and um, and just learning. And it just was a, a, such a different um, experience. And what I found myself gravitating back to was my experience in college in psychology. And really my you know, I, I am the type of person I always want to know why people are doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying and getting inside people's minds. So in a way, it was a little bit like coming home for me. What's the biggest leadership? You were at Unilever off and on for many years. What, what was the biggest leadership lesson you've taken forward from that time at, at that pretty remarkable company, very, very similar to P&G? Yeah, you know, I think... Um, I think one of the biggest leadership um, realizations for me that that I've I've taken forward is um, speaking my truth and really understanding in a business context that there are a lot of stakeholders, um, many of which who have very very different opinions. Um, and I, I think for a long time I was almost. And, and a lot of time being the only woman in the room, being a little intimidated to say what was on my mind um, and seeing a little bit of like that herd mentality. And, and I think for me, as I grew in my confidence and in my responsibilities, um, it was OK if somebody didn't agree with me and that deci different decisions were made. But I felt very much to this day, I have a responsibility to say how I feel and what I think. Um, and that I can live with myself if different decisions are made, but I can't live with myself if I never express my thoughts or my feelings on a matter. Gail, I want to jump forward into your role at WW as chief brand officer. And what a three and a half year, three and a half years you have had in that role. And we're going to get into some of that. Uh, but I think I read you were a customer of Weight Watchers at the time, WW now, years ago. Did that have any bearing on your decision to join the firm? Oh my God, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And um, the, the, the story goes, it was about um, 19 years ago and I was pregnant with my second child. My son was two and I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and my husband at the time had been very ill and um, I had gained a ton of weight because I was sort of eating myself um, and comforting myself. And so once my daughter was born, I had like all of this weight that I just was not used to carrying around. And I couldn't, I felt so bad about myself, my self-esteem. I was very depressed. I didn't want to go back to the office because I was ashamed of how I looked. 
Um, and so one day I walked into a Weight Watchers um, meeting and, um, you know, that started a journey for me, not only where I was able to lose all of the weight, but more importantly, I was able to, you know, live a life that, that made me happy and where I felt confident. Um, and I, you know, was excited to go to work and excited to engage and participate in life. Did, tell, did you just happen upon the meeting? Did a friend invite you? Did you see an ad? Can you remember? What? Well, I remember, I remember passing by it every day on my way to work because it was, you know, outside. It said Weight Watchers. Um, and so I had obviously heard people talk about it. I felt like everybody's mother and grandmother had done it and I knew it kind of worked. Um, so I just like walked in one day and um, they were so welcoming. I mean, I, it's, you know, now everything's digital and you, you don't, no one's really seeing your face. But at the time, you know, I, I walked in and they were so um, caring and kind and empathetic. And it just, it, it, it was, um, a really wonderful experience. And I felt like, okay, I'm not in this alone. So that was 19, 20 years ago. Yes. And you've been here now three and a half years. What was the, did you seek out WW? Did they seek out you? I mean, how did this, this nice thing happen 17 <laughs> years later? So it's kind of a funny story. So um, the uh, recruiter called me and a uh, wonderful recruiter, Jenna Rich, who I just love. And she said, um, I was not looking for a job at all. I had left Unilever once and had come back and I, I loved working there. Um, and so Jana called me and she said, I have the job for you. And I was like, Jana, I'm not looking. And she said, I have the job for you. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, it's the chief brand officer of Weight Watchers. And I, it was this weird, like part of me was like, oh my God, that brand changed my life. But the other part of me was like, you know, I had been working on Dove and like, you know, female empowerment. And, and I felt like almost like the brand was stuck almost in the past. So it was this weird um, dichotomy, how I was feeling and I said, you know what, Jenna, I'm just not sure. And she said, if you don't at least meet the CEO, um, I will never talk to you again. And I was like, oh, no. That's Mindy, powerful. That's powerful. And the thing is, like, Mindy Grossman wasn't in my universe of CPG, right? Like, mm -hmm. once I had told people that Jenna wanted me to meet with her, everyone's like, oh, my God, you get to meet Mindy. But she wasn't sort of in my world. And so um, I said, okay, I will have breakfast with her now. I, the funny thing is I found out later, Mindy didn't want to meet with me. She's like, why would I want to meet someone who's been at the same company for 20 years? Like, that's not what I'm looking for. And so we had breakfast and within the first 10 minutes, um, I, I heard her vision um, and her passion and purpose for wanting to change the health trajectory of the world. And I was ready to resign, you know, that night. Wow. And what turned with her? Was it the chemistry that you had, your story about Weight Watchers? You know, I think it was, um, we just, it was just chemistry. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, we saw things in, in a very similar way. Um, you know, obviously coming from Unilever, where I think purpose-driven brands really were born. And I think she understands purpose-driven brands. It's in her DNA. And so the fact that we were talking about how a brand had a responsibility to leave this world, you know, a little bit better than when we, than how we found it. And 
you know, the fact that she is a big believer in, you know, brands with purpose, that it's okay to mat to marry purpose and profit. And we just very much saw eye to eye on that. And also we both had very similar personal experiences with the brand that we really believed in it. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You're three and a half years into the job. I'd like you to reflect on what's been your best day in that three and a half years. And I would also like you to talk about what the worst day has been or the toughest day. Um, I think the best day um, was when I went, uh, uh, gosh, it was probably right before COVID. Um, I walked into a workshop um, and one of the coaches was leading a workshop and, you know, I sneak in and sit in the back um, and she, at the end of the workshop, let it leak that I was the chief brand officer. Um, and you would have thought, you would have thought that I was Oprah, like the love and, and, um, for what the company does and how the brand has transformed them and how we've, you know, made it more relevant and made it almost like a badge for people versus being ashamed. And I I don't know, they, like, I must have spoken to at least 15 members that day um, who wanted to tell me their story and how the brand had really impacted them. And I like that's that's why I get up every day. And um, that to me was was probably the best day of my career. Becoming a badge versus something to be ashamed of. That's a very powerful thought. I mean, I, I guess we could go on for an hour about this, but how do you think that happened? You know, I think the um, I think, first of all, that the fact that the brand had weight in its name, like anybody who knows the brand and who's been touched by the brand knows that it's so much more than that. And in fact, you know, we have a a large uh, we're like the OG of community. Right. And we have a large social media platform in our app. um, And the number one hashtag is NSV which is non-scale victory. And so it was a really um, natural evolution for us to go from Weight Watchers to WW. And really, as we talk about, it's not just about the, the weight on the scale. I mean, in fact, that has so little to do with it. It's how people's lives have been transformed and those stories of transformation and being proud to to being, I want to be healthy. You know, we talk about not only the, not the numbers on the scale, but your cholesterol, you know, your blood pressure. And so I think people um, have really started to talk about, and now more than ever after COVID, um, you know, health is not a luxury anymore. It is a necessity. And so I think that there is now, I am taking care of myself and I'm actually, I'm proud of that. And so I think we see that that shift, um, which is really wonderful because, you know, we have a massive epidemic um, around the world. But in this country where 73 percent of the U.S. population is overweight and obese 
And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to me. What's been your toughest day, the worst day in this three and a half years? I think the toughest day, um, I think in my, like in my own personal career was, um, right after we relaunched the brand, our winter campaign, which we all felt so, so excited about and, and invigorated by, and, you know, being in a, in a D to C business, you know, we can see the, the subscriptions every day. So unlike, you know, CPG, where I was planning 12, 18 months out, it's like, I see the impact of our marketing on our business within hours. Um, and I think the early results of that campaign um, did not meet our expectations. And I personally felt crushed and I felt like I let the business down. I felt like I let the board down. I felt like I let our members down. Um, and there was, you know, a lot of soul searching within the next few days about what went wrong. And I think we were so excited and caught up in our own excitement that we didn't take the time to bring the consumer along with us. And so, um, it was, you know, it was a really, I feel like I let a lot of people down at that point. So your learning from that, Gail, was that you didn't feel like you had the consumers involved as he or she could have been? Right. Yep. We moved too quickly, way too quickly. And, you know, not everybody has an ADD brain like me where, you know, I'm already thinking <laughs> a few months down the road. Yeah. I mean, I reflect on my biggest mistakes in my career and the big ones where I wasted a lot of money and did stupid things were when I wasn't, I mean, the company that I worked for, P&G drilled this as Unilever does, consumers first. I, I didn't, didn't go as deeply as I should have. Yeah. And I, and so I have lots of stories on it. Some of them are funny now because they were <laughs> such big, stupid mistakes. Uh, but, but I think it gets, I think the big mistakes are usually about that. You're not as close to the customer or consumer and you don't act quickly enough on people. It's so true. For most people, those are the two big ones. And you know what, Jim, just to that point, I think also, which is why I love the fact that you asked me that question is, you know, a lot of people think that when you get to a certain, like a C-suite executive, that it's because you haven't made mistakes. And I actually think that I am here because I made some big mistakes along the way. And so I love that you're asking people about that. And I certainly, um, you know, have started to become very comfortable talking about mistakes that I've made. How is Gail today a different leader from the Gail who came into WW three and a half years ago? Oh, gosh, I would say um, I am more um, committed and passionate than ever before. Um, seeing what is happening in, in this world and understanding, you know, not only health um, and well-being, but mental health and well-being and the power of connection and community. I mean, I think our community certainly got me through COVID. Um, and so I think a true appreciation for the, the power of connection and being intentional about that connection. Because I think you know, for so long, I would go to work and I would come home and family and friends and everybody was just kind of there. And, you know, now being stuck at home, I think really being intentional and put, putting the effort into it, but also realizing that 
everyone's circumstances are so different and it doesn't make it harder or easier. But I think about people on my team who are trying to work from home and raise young children. And then I think about people who, you know, are older and living alone and have been isolated or or caring also for older parents. And so I think I am also um, more empathetic of the range of circumstances and, and how hard it has been really on everybody. You've been on a journey of totally reimagining this brand, which comes off of strong foundations as we've been talking about. But over the last three years or so, a new name, a new visual identity, a refined purpose, a new, more digitally oriented business model, more personalization, and on and on and on. And it has not all gone smoothly. It never does. So I'd like you to think about your learning on this one. If you, if I ask you, and maybe you're doing this, if I ask you to write a book about your experience, about the reimagining of a storied brand, what would be in that book? What would some of the chapter titles be? What might the title of the book be? Wow. I think the title, oh, well, let's come back. Let's discuss some chapters. Um, I think the, the first chapter would be all around people and culture. And, and I know it. sometimes it sounds like trite, but, you know, there is no such thing as like internal brand and external brand anymore. Like all of those barriers are down. And I think starting with your employees and are you all aligned, you know, and, and sharing the same values and the same purpose? And are you all rowing in the same direction? Um, and I do think that that culture piece, you know, when I first came, there was there were people who had been with the company for 20 years and there was new talent that we had just brought in. And there, it was very interesting um, because I think there were some initial conversations of, oh, she's a legacy thinker or, and the reality of it is what, what I saw is that it didn't matter how long you had been there. The years that you were there did not define, you know, your thinking, but it was your attitude towards the future. So there was, we did a lot of work around culture and making sure everybody was, was rowing in the same direction. So I do think, and, you know, there's the quote that, that culture eats strategy for breakfast or lunch or dinner or all, <laughs> all three. Um, but I, I think that is so, so critical, number one. And um, one of the, the, the biggest um, challenges, but biggest opportunities where I'm so thrilled where we are today with, with our culture. Um, so that's number one. I think number two is um, really how do we think about what's happening in culture with the consumer and mindset and how that impacts our business every day and how we define our competition? Because I think over the past three years, our, our competition changes all the time. You know, sometimes our competition is the bright and shiny app. Sometimes it's people who think they can do it themselves. Sometimes it's, you know, a streaming video service where consumers only have a certain amount of money. So I think really understanding where consumer mindset is, um, where the competition is, and being really um, nimble and dynamic so that you stay true to what your DNA is, but you really do have to 
to flex in order to stay relevant um, and to, to meet consumers' needs. And just to give you an example of that, I mean, I during COVID, um, you know, we saw a lot of people who were um, who weren't able to go to the gym anymore. And so, you know, you see the the video um, content with, you know, workouts and that was happening all around us. And so, you know, we said, look, our our members are home. We are a holistic approach to weight loss and wellness. So we started creating content um, in our app around, you know, around fitness video content to meet the needs of those members. So, you know, at the core, we are still inspiring healthy habits, but we are increasing or decreasing offerings depending on where the consumer is. How do you talk about the WW purpose right now? I mean, our purpose is very clear. It's to inspire healthy habits for real life, for people, for family, for communities, for the world. Um, and that is that is something that guides everything that we do. We are a team of behavior change. Um, you know, we have a whole team of behavior change scientists, a whole team of nutritional scientists, and a whole group of people that are really focused on how to create healthy habits, because that is the only way, you know, for sustainable change. So that's a wonderful purpose. And you are a purpose-driven organization and brand, which we've been talking about. You also worked at Unilever, which has been on the purpose uh, journey for decades. And one of the vanguard brands was Dove, and you worked on that brand. What, have you, what did you learn from your experience at Unilever and Dove that has helped you on at WW on your leadership and purpose journey? Um, I think two things. I think number one is, um, and this goes to, I think what I, what I started off with is that, you know, a, a brand is not just a product that you buy. It's an idea that you buy into. And so marrying that sort of with purpose, which is, you know, we felt at Unilever and I very much feel at WW that, that brands um, have an obligation to contribute to society in a bigger way than just, you know, making money. And so as we think about, you know, our at, at WW, you know, we think about how do we help our employees? How do we help our members? And then how do we help our members' communities? And so that has guided a lot of the work that we've done in our in our in the social impact space, whether that is WW Good, which is our 501c3 and our nonprofit, um, or the launch of the Healthy Living Coalition, which is really bringing kind of like what I did with Seher, but bringing together companies to really um, make progress against SDG SDG Goal Two um, nutrition and nutrition insecurity. So. I think that is just as important as selling the the program that you know that that makes people healthier and um, and more well. You talked about your your first chapter is people and culture in this book that we're writing together. Uh, how do you describe the culture at WW? You know, if you're talking about it with your friends, or your kids, or whatever, how do you how do you describe it? I think um, first and foremost, we are a member centric culture. Um, I think it is about whatever we do. Is this going to make the experience better for our members? And I think um, 
that is just something that is we're all guided by. Um, I think the second thing is we are very collaborative. Um, it is an organization that, you know, we have product, we have tech, we have engineering, we've got brand, we've got content creative, but we only win if we all work together. So we have like a lot of different disciplines, but we'll all work towards one common goal. And so I think that collaboration um, is really, really important. Um, I think we are also unbelievably respectful and maybe sometimes too nice, you know, where we don't want to have the hard conversation because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Um, so that's something that we've really been been working on is how to have hard conversations without pissing people off or hurting their feelings. And um, so that's, I've been spending a lot of time and, and, and energy there. And I think it's also really important um, to have those conversations face-to-face. -face. We, we will say things to each other um, and I would much prefer that than like getting off a call and then all the texts going back and forth. Oh my God, I hate this, that. No, like let's have these conversations Let's disagree, but then let's commit and all move forward together, which I think if people feel like they have the chance to be heard, then that's that's, you know, that works very well. What are you learning about teaching and training how to have the tough, respectful conversations? You know, I mean, I, I think there are a few people who who I think I've I've done a good job at it. I think a few people have told me lately that like they're the I'm the only person that they when I fire them they're hugging me like as they're walking out the door. Um I I think there is very much it's about really understanding what the needs of the business of the business are versus what somebody is able to bring to that. And and sometimes they just don't align. And I say to my teams all the time like my first and foremost I want them to be happy. I want them to be happy in, in their career, in their job, because if you're not happy doing what you're doing, you're just not going to be good at it. And so, you know, I think trying to separate what is personal um, versus, you know, what aligns with the needs of the organization um, and also different work styles. Like I, it is really important, especially in this Zoom world, um, to be a really good listener um, and to, I think, really pay attention, um, but also develop trust and relationships. And I think that's been um, one of the hardest things about, about COVID is we had a lot of new folks start and never had an opportunity to have a drink or have dinner or have lunch. And so that's been really, really challenging. And so Maybe that means a one-on-one -on -one Zoom um, where you get to know somebody and you don't talk about business, but just get to know them personally. So, you know, those are some of the things that we've been working on. Gail, you brought up this competition area, which is, as I thought about this interview before we got together, I did want to talk to you about that. You know, when I think about your competitive set in wellness, it's almost everything. So I just wonder how do you frame your competition now? How do you think about your differentiation and competitive advantage in this enormous space with so many direct and indirect competitors? So could you speak a little bit about how you see competition and how you differentiate with this massive space you are in? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, we start macro. So like Mindy will say, and I love this, like our competition is the last great experience that someone had with a brand. Um, And so that is like really macro, you know, all the way down to, um, you know, a, a weight loss app, a competitive weight loss app. And, you know, for us, I think it's about really understanding who the consumer you that you're talking to because you know there are very different you know we do a lot of consumer segmentation and i think what's important to you actually is not important may not be important to my daughter and so the the wonderful thing about i think our brand is that you know we have some key tenants um so that that you know pretty much four key tenants um one is around nutritional and behavioral science and like you know, we have proven science, clinical trials, PhDs, like we are really not a fly by night um, type of weight loss brand. And so that's really, really important for people to understand, um, you know, that we have almost 60 years of proven science. So for some people, that's really important. You know, on the other hand, um, you know, we've got, so we have the nutritional and behavioral, that science piece. Then we also have coaching. Coaching is a big, big piece. Um, And we're one of the the few big global, I think we're actually the only global um, weight loss and wellness brand. Um, But we have thousands of coaches who have literally been helping people um, for many, many years. And we're not bots, um, you know, and so I think the humanity comes through in that brand. And I think the fourth thing is community. And the power of our community to do the work for us and to do the marketing for us and the word of mouth. I mean, that is, I think, one of the most powerful levers, um, you know, that that we had. We had introduced a very simple concept called invite a friend and where if you invite a friend, you get a month off, they get a month off. And, you know, it, it became a significant portion of, of our signups. And so I think the, the members whose lives have been transformed are the best testament, you know, to this brand. Um, so we, you know, depending on who we're talking to and what the barrier to entry is, um, I think we have a few levers to, to press, which is great. Where do you look for benchmarks or points of inspiration for your brand? Oh, gosh, everywhere. I mean, you know, we are so, so lucky to have, you know, one of the most inspirational people in the world um, on our board, Oprah Winfrey. So she is really involved and so passionate. Um, And she I always come away from conversations, you know, with her, um, I think, a better person and a better marketer. So, you know, I think we're, we're very fortunate there. Certainly, um, you know, there are other brands that that inspire me, um, but also people and and members that inspire me. So I think there is a wealth of um, inspiration all around us. What's been your most interesting lesson or observation about Oprah as a leader, as a marketer, as a human being? You know, I think the the biggest lesson um, that I learned um, from Oprah, which which seems so crazy, but it's so simple is, you know, listen to your members and let them speak. 
don't try and put words in their mouth because they do the best job ever of talking about what this brand means to them and how, you know, it, it's changed their life. And um, it sounds so simple. It's such a simple concept, but it's, um, you know, we have a tendency sometimes, I think, as marketers to get in our own heads and think about strategic frameworks and this and that and, you know, big agencies. And, you know, at the end of the day, I want someone to walk away from our communication and say, oh, my God, if that person did it, I can do it. And, you know, the, the best way to do that is really to hear from our members themselves. I was talking to Ann Lunas recently at Adobe. She's been the CMO there for, I think, almost 15 years, an incredible run. I asked her a similar question and she said, let your community help you. They care more than anyone. They have the ideas. Open up, listen to them and follow their advice. Gail, this massive reimagining of your brand that has been going on and obviously always continues to go on, what do you feel has gone better than expected? I think the the member base and new members, like, you know, people who have never considered the brand for the first time are really reappraising the brand. You know, when I first started, it was, oh, I would never do that. It's my grandmother's brand or, oh, my God, you know, you have to eat this like weird food. We don't even sell that kind of weird food. Like there were so many um, myths Mm -hmm. that we needed to bust. And I think fast forward, um, you know, three years, like, you know, I have people telling me when, when I get on the airplane, you know, what I used to, um, you know, and I said where I worked at WW, I mean, people couldn't wait to tell me they're part of the brand. And, you know, they're, so I think this goes to the badge, like, People are proud to be on the program. And when you look at what our members are doing on Instagram and TikTok, and they are so excited to be part of this um, and to they all want to inspire other people along that journey. So I think um, I'm just really proud that we've gotten to a place where, you know, people aren't ashamed to say that they want to lose weight to be healthy. And we say that healthy is the new skinny. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy to bust myths and you've, you had some big ones and you've done that pretty quickly. I've worked on a lot of brands. So have you, it's really hard to change a brand image. Any insights and in how that was done? You know, I think there's something to be said for confronting those myths straight on. And actually one of our best performing social ads was, you know, join WW. It's not your grandmother's brand but she's of course welcome to. And that goes to busting the myth, but true to who we are in terms of the inclusivity. Um, so I think sometimes just hitting them head on is, is really the best thing that, that you can do. What's not gone as well as you would have liked in this reimagining? Oh gosh, um, what's not gone as well? I mean, I think we, you know, we're really excited to expand into other countries. Um, I think just because of priorities and everything, we're, that's taken a little bit longer, um, you know, than, than I would have liked. Um, I think that's probably, you know, one of the biggest opportunities, you know, for us. You've talked so far, I want to switch this conversation into 
some people who've inspired you. You've talked about Laura at Unilever. You talked about Mindy, the great breakfast you had when you met her. I've heard you speak about them in other venues. Could you speak a little bit about what is it about those two women, those two leaders that have helped you develop into the incredible woman and leader you are today? I mean, you know, Laura, Laura was my boss at a time when I was just getting married, um, thinking about having a family. She was a, you know, a director at the time, soon a VP, who was raising three daughters. Um, and so I was really able to, to learn from her that I can work and have a family and that I don't necessarily have to make those trade-offs, but that supporting, you know, surrounding myself with a, a supportive community would be really important. Um, and so, you know, that was so at that time, I mean, that was, you know, over 20 years ago, um, it wasn't that common. And so I think, you know, number one, I certainly learned that from Laura. And number two, you know, I don't know if you know Laura, Jim, but she is- I do. I mean, she is the most gracious, elegant, like warm, loving person. Um, and so to see someone, you know, rise through an organization, especially a woman at that time, um, with her grace, and it just was, um, it just was really inspiring and, and had a really um, big impact on me. And then you fast forward to Mindy, who you met whatever, four years ago or so. Yeah. Uh, I've met Mindy in some other roles as well, and I've obviously seen her publicly. Uh, what what have you taken from Mindy to help you evolve as a leader? How, and she's your CEO, so that relationship is really, really important. And it, not every CEO and CMO are on totally the same page. You two sure seem to be. So tell us about that relationship and why it's so strong. I mean, first of all, I... I have such a deep sense of gratitude for Mindy because, you know, when she hired me, it was a big risk for her and she gave me a really big job and she saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself at the time. So I, I am so grateful, um, you know, for her for that. And, um, and she is, I mean, gosh, she is such a visionary and sees things that like before I see them. And she just sees the the world in such a way and the future of this brand in a way that is so inspiring and so big um, that it, it really inspires me to get up every day and do the best that I can, not only, you know, for my team and our members, but for her. And so I think, you know, number one, number two, I love the fact that, you know, Mindy is successful and feminine and vulnerable and is not ashamed or afraid of any of it. Like that is who she is. And it is, it, it is so wonderful to see that you can go from talking about, you know, operating income to, you know, like, where you got your haircut or where your blouse is from, like all in a matter of minutes. And I just, her, her femininity and her smarts and she's just, she's the whole package. And, um, I just, I, I find that, you know, incredibly inspiring. And then, you know, the, the last thing is, um, you know, I think Mindy has helped me, um, you know, with, 
my confidence and um, really given me the confidence to to do a job that maybe at the time was, you know, a little bit above me and pushed me and, and you know, as to, you can do that and you can do that. And, and so that is something that, um, you know, is, I don't know, it just builds loyalty and breeds loyalty, but it also is incredibly empowering and the way that I want, you know, people on my team to feel. Well, I want to pause on that one. We just don't talk about confidence enough. And honestly, it hasn't come up come up enough in this podcast over the last two years. Uh, if you're not confident, you're you're not going to take chances. You're not going to be bold. You're not going to be yourself. You're going to be second guessing. So it is really really important as leaders to ensure our people do have our trust and our confidence. Yeah. And uh, and 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 having the tough conversations when it's not there. And how do right. you build it? And how do you help them build it? So I'm really glad you brought that up. I just don't think we explore that enough. I agree. And I think when, when I was at Unilever, um, I, we were doing a lot of work around the messy middle and why women, we had a lot of women sort of come in at, you know, assistant associate brand manager, but they weren't staying, you know, through the process and, and raising to, you know, levels of director and VP, et cetera. And, you know, so there was all these hypotheses. Well, why is it? Well, because they are having children. They want to stay home with the children. This, And actually what we found, the number one thing was confidence. And they didn't have the confidence, whether it was, you know, going out on maternity leave and coming back and, and being able to handle the role. And so we created a lot of programs around um, how to build confidence in, in the workplace um, for, for women. So I, I think it is incredibly, incredibly important. And we have work to do. You know, Deloitte is a friend of mine and a sponsor of this podcast. They've done some research about confidence in the C-suite and chief marketing officers generally have the lowest confidence. So we, we could go down that road, but we're not. But we got to work on it. That's the message, I yeah. think, for all of us. Yep. I want to switch to the last part of this podcast, which is the creative brief, where we further explore insights about you, Gail. And the first question I have for you is, favorite personal WW ritual? Oh, I mean, hands down, um, gratitude journaling. Before I go to bed every night, I write down three things that I am grateful for. And um, it is it is a, a wonderful gift to to give myself. Um, and you know, there are scientific um, studies around how that helps. But a hundred percent gratitude journaling. You, this is a good reminder. We started doing that at dinner during COVID, talking about every night what we're thankful for, yeah. and it was really very poignant. And you know, we drifted away from that as we've gotten back to our right. more normal. I have, I have to bring that back. Please so thank do. You I don't that. understand why people just do it over Thanksgiving, but it should be every day. Yeah. Yep. You are a co-founder of See Her, and you referred to that a bit earlier in the podcast. And it's an industry initiative for our listeners to improve the portrayal of girls in media and advertising. This is kind of maybe a stupid question, but it's a foundational one. Why is this important for you? Oh, I mean, it, it started years ago um, when I read this crazy statistic that um, there wouldn't be gender equality in my daughter's lifetime. And, you know, at the time, I think she was 12 years old or 13 years old, and that broke my heart. Um, and when I 
looked at and studied what were some of the major contributors to that, um, how girls and women were portrayed in media and advertising was one of the biggest factors. And at the time I was, you know, in media Unilever and I was like, this light bulb went off. Hold on. If I'm in media and all of my friends are in media, we can actually create culture. And so that was sort of the, you know, the birth of that. What do you hope this looks like 10 years from now? Oh, I hope See Her doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. I hope that we don't need it. Do you think we're on track? Um, I think we've made significant progress. I think we have a lot more work to do. But I do like to take a little bit of credit for See Her um, for our vice president. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought I would see that in my lifetime. Yeah, that's right. No, that's a huge milestone. And, uh, And the effort's been wonderful. I've been close to it. P&G has been a part of it as well. Many other, it's, it's a be- beautiful thing to see everyone come together on this and yeah. show the power of working together on something important across companies and competitors. P&G has been one of the most amazing um, supporters and, and, you know, joined on when the initiative was born when I was at Unilever. And I always give so much credit to, to Mark and the team there because it was not about whose idea it was. It was about really making impact. And so at that point, that's when I decided to, you know, stop hating PNG. <laughs> All, right. All right. We'll get to that later. Uh, what's the campaign or initiative that you worked on in your entire career that you're most proud of? I think it was a, a Dove social campaign a few years ago that we did with um, Twitter, which was called hashtag speak beautiful. And it was really about um, how hard women are, you know, on themselves in, the, in, you know, social media. And so, you know, every time we would see that happening, we would come in the brand and re- remind people, you know, um, how beautiful they were inside and out. And I just think, you know, to be able to spend money on something that truly impacts people's self-esteem and how they're feeling about um, themselves and to do it in partnership with Twitter, which at the time invested, um, you know, invested money and time and product development to something, re- you know, I'm, I'm really proud to be part of. What's inspiring you lately in terms of podcasts or books or music or series? I'm actually reading um, a new book. I just did an Inspire series at at my company, um, The Lost Art of Connecting by Susan McPherson. And um, I, I just, I'm really enjoying this book. And it's really about, you know, how to connect with people, you know, in this day and age. And interestingly enough, she wrote the proposal four years before COVID, but the book just came out. And I think that there are so many um, lessons that she talks about. And, And just two examples, you know, one is the importance of who you are at home and who you are at work, you know, being showing up and being the same person is, is really so important. And, and I'm a big believer in that. And, and especially now with, you know, with everybody being on Zoom and you hear my dog barking or my teenage daughter will come in and be like, mom, you're still on Zoom. Um, but I think the other thing that she talks about is she doesn't like the word networking, which I've never liked. And she talks about, you know, creating your constellation and how creating the the connections around you 
that sort of together come to create a bigger roadmap in, in your life. So I'm really enjoying this book right now. Constellation is a much more beautiful metaphor than networking. Right? That's brilliant. Yeah. All right. I want to know if you, now that you're not at Unilever and you're in this wonderful job, do you buy any more P&G brands than you used to? <laughs> I definitely do. But then the good, the good news is that um, Unilever sold the laundry business a long time ago. I so I have been... I have been a diehard Tide user, um, so and bounce. So um, I think certain categories, yes, I am, you know, very happy to buy PNG products. Who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast, Gail? Well, I would have said I just listened to Carla's. Um, so oh, yeah. I mean, that was she's always she's an incredible friend, um, but also just so you know so inspiring and. A lot of my CMO friends have gone on to now be presidents and CEOs. So I guess they're not even, you know, eligible anymore. Um, so we have, we have we have CEOs on and entrepreneurs and sometimes an academic. So, yeah, I, anyone who affects the world of marketing in a big way or has something to say is, is more well, than welcome. I, I think um, if you haven't spoken to Pam Kaufman, who was the CMO of Nickelodeon, who's now the president of um, CBS and Viacom Consumer Products. Um, she is a um, just, I mean, what she has done with SpongeBob and JoJo Sinway, I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty miraculous. That's a great idea. I'll give you the last word, Gail. Anything for me before we sign off from this wonderful discussion? I'm just so appreciative that, that you do this. And I have listened to so many and, you know, whether it's a CMO, a CEO, or people just starting out in their career, um, you just, you keep it real and you make it really easy to, to, ha to have these conversations. So please keep doing it. I think it makes us all better. Thank you, Gail. It's very sweet of you. And this has been a dynamite conversation on so many levels. Congratulations. Keep going with that purpose. It's important. You're right. You have a lot of problems still to solve in the world and people to make more joyful and, and, and more happy and more proud. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Gail Tifford. Three takeaways from this one to apply in your business and life. The first one is about culture. There were so many lessons in here about building a strong growth-oriented culture. From being okay with mistakes to ensuring that you're member-centric or customer-centric. Oprah Winfrey's on the board of WW. That's her major advice. Listen to your members. They will not lead you astray. Being respectful, having tough conversations, being collaborative. This was a masterclass on building a strong culture. Second takeaway, the importance of confidence in yourself and your people. It's an issue in marketing. Deloitte has a study that says confidence in the C-suite with chief marketing officers is not good. Great people do not do great work if they're not confident and if there's not trust. So we have a lot of work to do to build confidence in ourselves and in our people. And the third takeaway, we talk about how to change a brand image. WW has done that beautifully. How do they do it? They weren't afraid of their past. They weren't afraid of the truth. They confronted it head on. They knew the brand was old, seen as old, and they had fun with that. They were direct about it and their image changed quickly. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. 
And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.